Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just What we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Guy Marzarati in for Mina Kim. Coming up on Forum, leaders of California's largest cities are grappling with the most visible symbol of the state's homelessness crisis, tent encampments. Mayors in San Diego, San Francisco, and San Jose say the tents are a hazard to public health, a drag on local business, and a blight on their cities. But advocates of the unhoused and federal judges say it's inhumane to dismantle encampments if there's no place for their residents to go. We'll talk about the controversies at hand, who's most affected, and take your calls about California's homeless encampments. That's next, after this news. This is Forum. I'm Guy Marzarati in for Mina Kim. Tent encampments are one of the starkest, most visible expressions of California's homelessness crisis, a crisis that afflicts at least 172,000 people in the state, according to a study this year by UCSF. Leaders of California's largest cities are struggling to respond to the needs of unhoused residents who are camping on city streets while addressing demands from business owners and residents and orders from federal courts. This hour, we look at the complexities of the problem and some of the solutions that are being proposed. We're joined by Aldo Toledo, City Hall reporter with the San Francisco Chronicle. Good morning. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thank you for having me. We also have Marisa Kendall, a reporter covering California's homelessness crisis for Cal Matters. Marisa, good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for joining us. And Marisa, I'll start with you. Big picture, why do you think we are seeing such a backlash to encampments happening now, this year? Well, I think part of it is a backlash over what happened during the COVID pandemic. Um, The CDC recommended that cities do not 
clear encampments during the pandemic because they wanted everyone to shelter in place. They didn't want encampments dispersed, which could potentially spread the virus. So as a result of that, what you had was encampments were allowed to really grow and become um, more entrenched. And I think uh, neighbors now are responding to that. And there's been a a big backlash because what used to be sort of out of sight now um, is this really visible presence in people's neighborhoods where maybe they didn't used to see it before. Right. And there's also, you know, what's happening on the street is also being driven by what's happened in the courtroom. Remind us of this 2018 decision from the Federal Court of Appeals for the Ninth Circuit in Martin v. Boise. How is that kind of affecting how cities respond to encampments? Absolutely. Yeah, that has really um, played a big role in California. Basically, what the court decided was that if there is no, um, basically it decided that it's um, that you cannot penalize or criminalize someone for sleeping outside in a public place if they have no other option. So what California cities, for the most part, have interpreted that to mean is that they cannot just clear an encampment unless they have shelter beds to offer people. So that's really uh, tied cities' hands a lot in terms of how it can um, deal with encampments. And Aldo, this is a ruling at play in San Francisco, right? This case that you've been following Tell us about this lawsuit that's led to an injunction here on sweeping encampments. Yeah, well, the Coalition on Homelessness, um, along with seven other unhoused folks, uh, sued the city of San Francisco uh, because of the home uh, encampment suites that they had been doing. Um, They were uh, enforcing sit sit and lie laws and and different laws against camping and sitting on the street. Um, But now because of an injunction from the Ninth Circuit Court based on the Martin B. Boise decision, the city can't do these encampment sweeps. And it's, you know, turned the whole city uh, upside down. I I think a lot of folks are polarized on this issue now here in San Francisco. Right. We saw this incredible scene uh, outside of court uh, recently as the two sides kind of faced off in in separate hearings that were going on. Let's hear a little bit from Mayor London Breed, who was one of the folks who who came outside uh, the courthouse and spoke to the crowd. We are compassionate. We are supportive. We continue to help people. But this is not the way. Anything goes in San Francisco is not the way. So just kind of paint the scene, what was happening outside there? Yeah, I mean, as you can hear in the background of London Breed's speech there, uh, there was a lot of rowdiness. There were hundreds of people outside the Ninth Circuit uh, protesting on both sides. Some folks uh, joined by the Democratic Socialists of America and the Coalition on Homelessness uh, advocates and supporters um, arguing that the city should uh, go ahead with the uh, comply with the injunction and not do any of these kinds of sweeps. Um, and then on the other side, dozens, dozens more people uh, joining the mayor and other uh, supervisors in uh, you know their abhorring of this injunction from uh, Donna Rio of the uh, of this district court. And we even had the governor of California, Gavin Newsom, weigh in uh, on this case happening in San Francisco. Although he talked to your colleague, Sophia Balag at the San Francisco Chronicle. Um, and he said, you know, he called the encampment sweeps, the order blocking that, quote, preposterous and inhumane. Marisa, what did you make of Newsom weighing in on what seems on its face uh, kind of a local lawsuit and, and speaking out in such strong terms about it? 
Yeah, that's not the first time he's done that. Over the past couple of years, it's become more and more common for groups of unhoused people and activists to sue cities or sue Caltrans to try to stop sweeps. Um, and they've been successful in a lot of cases, at least temporarily. They'll get sweeps postponed um, several months. And Newsom's come out against um, against this several times. Um, there was one order in Oakland that he came out and said, this is ridiculous. Like, we need to be able to do this sweep. There was one on the uh, Berkeley-Emeryville border. Um, and he's really, I think it really comes down to, he's really made it a big part of his platform to clear encampments. He knows that's what his constituents want. Um, that's, you know, a big controversial issue is these encampments. And he's really kind of made it a top priority to clear them. Uh, so he's definitely been coming down on courts that he sees as getting in his way. I mean, he even went as far to say he thought about posting the judge's contact information so that residents who are angry with encampments could get in touch with, uh, you know, judges who are ruling in these cases. That seemed an extreme step. I mean, is part of this perhaps frustration that, you know, he feels like state officials are going to end up bearing the blame rather than the judiciary in this case? Yeah, definitely. I mean, um, constituents definitely do blame him and they blame local city officials for this crisis. You know, they're not they're not really looking to judges. Most people don't even know what Martin V. Boise is. You know, it's not a household name. Um, so I think they they don't really realize that that's a big part of the reason um, why cities uh, act the way they do when it comes to these encampments. And Aldo, what's been the reaction of officials in San Francisco? I'm thinking especially of progressives here uh, to Newsom getting involved uh, in, in this court case, speaking out so um, you know harshly against the judge's ruling. Well, I think a lot of progressives in the city are very upset about the uh, kind of tone that City Hall and a lot of other leaders in the city have taken uh, to this issue. Uh, obviously, the city has had it has spent millions and millions and millions of dollars to deal with the homelessness issue. Uh, but advocates on the other side say that they haven't done enough to actually provide adequate shelter for folks that they sweep off of the streets. So, yeah. I mean, that seems kind of like a central issue here, right? The availability of shelter for folks who are currently living in encampments. Marisa, it seems like perhaps one effect of this Martin v. Boise ruling is just added pressure, This, in this form, legal pressure, but added pressure on cities to create shelter. Absolutely. And um, some cities have uh, built that into their plans. You know, um, Santa Cruz, for example, passed a, uh, a ban on homeless encampments uh, in certain places, but it wasn't going to enforce that until it upped its shelter capacity to a certain level. Um, so I think it definitely does put more pressure on cities who are already under immense pressure to uh, to shelter all of these people. Although, is that something that you've seen in, in San Francisco, kind of a, a more pressure or more urgency, perhaps, on the part of city officials to create shelter, knowing that they have this, you know, legal ruling kind of hanging over their head when it comes to clearing encampments? Yeah, I mean, this injunction has been in place since December. And since December, you've seen a lot of city leaders here in San Francisco advocate for a lot of um more building of homeless shelters and affordable housing. But at the same time, that is coming with a lot of, you know, vitriol as well, a lot of 
anger toward unhoused folks who are living on the streets um, and the advocates who want to keep them on the streets. At least that's what they say. Mm. And one anecdote I think you often hear in this kind of debate is folks who might be living in encampments refusing or declining a spot in whether that's a shelter, whether that's temporary housing. Do we have an idea of the actual scope of this so-called shelter resistance, at least to your knowledge in San Francisco? Well, the city says it's about every, you know, one in two people that they contact on the streets actually deny deny them actually a, a place to stay inside. Um, and a lot of folks, I mean, I spoke with one man who is part of this lawsuit who was living in an encampment in the Castro district. And he told me that he had been uh, placed in several different spots, but because of the conditions in those uh, temporary housing situations, whether it's tiny home villages or or some of the uh, these SROs that the city has um, you know paid to to house homeless people in, um, you know you've seen a lot of uh, really horrid conditions in those places, and some homeless folks would say that it's actually better to live on the streets than live in in some of these temporary shelter conditions. You also hear some concerns about you know not being able privacy, not, you know perhaps health concerns in in shelters, not being able to take belongings in. Are those things that that come up in in SF? Yeah, I mean I think people you know unhoused people also have you know, dogs and, and, and friends that they stay close to to remain safe. And when you are placed in one of these temporary housing situations or even permanent supportive housing, a lot of the time you can't uh, bring some of, you know, your, whether it's your animals or a lot of your belongings, your friends, your family. So it really, you know, it's not, um, it, it's not very appealing to a lot of unhoused folks. And Marisa, do we know how the courts have grappled with this question of, you know, whether shelter has to be available for every person experiencing homelessness before camps can be cleared or just the individual being offered shelter at that moment? I mean, how is that kind of played out? Yeah, usually what I've seen is the judge will uh, delay the sweep and they'll tell the city, um, you know, you need to make more shelter available. Usually they will say you need to prove to us, to prove to me, the judge, that you have a shelter bed available for every person in this specific camp that you are trying to clear. Um, And sometimes there's delays with getting the shelter stood up. Um, But then, you know, a couple months later, when the city can prove we have the beds, the judge will usually uh, reverse the order and allow the sweep to continue. Um, But what advocates complain about is they'll say, you know, just because you have X number of beds, like Aldo said, it, it doesn't necessarily mean that these beds will work for these individual people. You know, it might be beds in a big congregate shelter where you have, you know, 50 cots in one room. And, you know, half the people in this encampment might have uh, mental health conditions that really make it impossible for them to sleep and feel safe with 50 other people. So it's it's really tough. Right. That's Marisa Kendall, reporter covering California's homelessness crisis for Cal Matters. Also with us, Aldo Toledo, City Hall reporter for the San Francisco Chronicle. We're heading into a break. When we come back, we're going to dive into the encampment policies in California's largest cities, how they're playing out, what the pushback has been. And we're going to take your calls. Stay with us. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. 
Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Guy Marzarati in from Mina Kim, and we're talking about how California cities are addressing homeless encampments and the recent battles in court on this issue. And we want to hear from you. How do you want your city to address homeless encampments? What are your questions? What are your ideas? What are your experiences? Give us a call now at 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. You can email your comments and questions to forum at kqed.org. Or you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or Discord. We're at KQED Forum. We have a comment from Julie who writes, Why don't the counties set up better locations for these camps? Why aren't there mobile showers where they are? Doing nothing hasn't worked out too well. Uh, Marisa, I don't know if you have thoughts on that. This has been something in Santa Clara County that a lot of people have pointed to the fairgrounds, for example. Why doesn't the county uh, turn to the fairgrounds or turn to sites that are already owned uh, by the government as a way to set up these camps? Uh, Marisa Kendall with CalMatters. Thoughts on the county piece of this? Yeah, it's interesting because there's a lot of finger pointing um, wherever you go throughout the state between the county, the city, the state, different agencies. There tends to be the city will say certain things are the county's responsibility. The county should be doing more, should be setting up places like the fairgrounds. The county tends to point to the city and say, this is your responsibility. Both tend to point to like Caltrans and state agencies to say you need to be doing more on the land that you own. There's a lot of back and forth. Um, But then when it comes down to it, when you have specific sites like the fairgrounds, it can be really tough to put homeless housing there. You get a lot of neighborhood backlash from neighbors, a lot of opposition, um, and no agency really wants to take responsibility for that sometimes. Right. Marisa Kendall's with uh, Cal Matters joining us. Also, Aldo Toledo, City Hall reporter for the San Francisco Chronicle. And I want to welcome in Blake Nelson, a reporter covering homelessness for the San Diego Union Tribune. Good morning, Blake. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for being with us. So we're about a month into San Diego's ban on encampments. This was a huge political priority for Mayor Todd Gloria. I want to play a little bit about what the mayor has had to say about this policy. With the unsafe camping ordinance and the safe sleeping program, our message is extremely clear. The street is not a home. The sidewalk is not a home. When we have places for you to go, the answer cannot be no. So, Blake, how has this policy played out in practice? What has enforcement looked like so far? So two things are happening at the same time. There is police enforcement of this new camping ban, uh, regardless of whether shelter beds are available. Uh, As the last time I checked, as of a few days ago, uh, police had issued more than 80 warnings and given four tickets uh, to people who are camping 
uh, in public places where they weren't supposed to be. There have not been any arrests yet. However, this also appears to be happening at the same time that police are ramping up enforcement of existing laws. Uh, a big one here is an encroachment law. Um, and so there are there are streets downtown that have been covered in tents for months, if not years, that are suddenly clear. Um, and so people are definitely being pushed around. But the sh the shelter system here is is already sort of nearing capacity or is at capacity many, many days. Um, so where everyone is going is still a little bit of an open question. Well, in one of the places that you've reported, I mean, you mentioned people being kind of pushed around. You've reported that people experiencing homelessness are now kind of being pushed towards riverbeds. The riverbed is is a really fascinating thing to look at. I've got data going back several years saying the number of encampments along the San Diego River has been rising repeatedly, really since about the months before COVID began. Um, it's still an open question if uh, San Diego's camping ban might correlate with a surge in river encampments, but they've definitely been going up for years. And that it that offers more privacy for people, but it off, also offers uh, more danger. I was in a riverbed encampment shortly after Tropical Storm Hillary. Uh, people had to be rescued as the water was rising. A lot of tents were flooded. People lost belongings. One guy lost his birth certificate. Uh, so there's real there's some real danger if that becomes more common. And Blake, I know this policy was passed by a really narrow vote by the San Diego City Council. I assume a month in or so, it still remains pretty controversial? Yeah, it's still pretty contentious. And it's fascinating that that vote was so narrow because for the first time in history here, it's a all-Democrat city council. It's There's no Republicans. Um, and everyone thinks of California as a big liberal city, but it's A, that glosses over all sorts of nuance, but B, San Diego is a Navy town and it has long elected all sorts of conservative Republican leaders. So this is really significant to have all Democrats and then have them sort of split so narrowly along this um, on what, yes, is, is a very, very controversial issue. Right. I want to turn to the phones and our callers and I want to go to Oakland first uh, with Jared. Good morning, Jared. Good morning. Uh, thank you for having me. Uh, I am a member of Wood Street Encampment, which was broken apart last May, and am now currently living in the shelter program that was given to us by the city. And I can tell you why people are service resistant, which is here we are incarcerated in little sheds, and we can't cross the fence and talk to each other. We're stuck inside because of confidentiality rules, so I, our own family can't visit us. They say it's only supposed to be for a limited time. It's a, what they call a rapid rehousing shelter, but we all know that the housing won't be rapid. <laughs> so we are trapped in a situation where we don't get what we need socially. Our empathy is being corroded by all sorts of strange little problems, like they won't let us have mirrors in the bathroom. All the showers use a sort of pumping head rather than one you just turn on. It's and Jared, is this these are the the tough sheds? Is that right in Oakland? Yes, yes, we do. Okay, well, like thank they have also in other places. Thank you so much for uh, sharing that, and I'm I'm sorry to hear about your experience uh, with those tough sheds. I'm wondering, Aldo. This idea of, you know, moving folks from encampments into temporary housing, whether that be tough sheds or, you know, 
more kind of shipping container studio like apartments. Has that played out in all in San Francisco? And is the experience that Jared shared resonate as far as what you've heard from people making that transition? Yeah, I mean, the the city of San Francisco does have a lot of options for folks um, to have shelter. But as the advocates for the Homelessness Coalition point out, uh, there's only about 7,000 or there's only about 3,000 or so beds available for folks. And there's about anywhere from, you know, five to 7,000 folks sleeping on the streets on any given day. So, you know, you really kind of get what you get. Uh, whenever you have folks come from uh, the Department of Homelessness or, or any kind of advocacy group coming up to your encampment, um, you know, the, the service resistance comes from, hey, you're going to be put in a congregate shelter or you are going to be put in a tiny home village uh, where there are onerous rules. So, you know, a lot of folks, uh, while there are a lot of different options for shelter in San Francisco, um, none of them give the kind of autonomy that I think a lot of unhoused people want. And is the argument, I guess, being made by the Coalition on Homelessness and others in this lawsuit that there should be no sweeps until what? There's an apartment for everyone experiencing homelessness? Kind of where do they draw the line of when a sweep would be acceptable? So they want, you know, supportive housing for folks who are on the street. And, you know, whether that's uh, building uh, shelters that are adequate for keeping people long term or actually building a lot of uh, supportive housing, actual housing to to put people in. Um, you know, that that's really the question is whether or not the city has the resources to do that. The Homelessness Coalition says that it, the city has to spend billions of dollars to actually do these affordable housing uh, developments to, to get unhoused people in. So, you know, th- this would definitely cause um, you know, billions and billions of dollars to, to deal with. And Marisa, you've been reporting on the city facing the largest homeless crisis in America. That's Los Angeles. And there, you know, we've seen Mayor Karen Bass roll out this inside safe program. I know temporary housing is a big piece of that. Tell us a little bit about the contours of this proposal that she's pursued in her first year in office. Yeah, so the idea with Inside Safe is uh, the city targets encampments, uh, individual encampments, encampment by encampment, and it'll move everyone from a specific camp um, into a hotel. And um, then eventually the idea is to then move everyone from that hotel into permanent housing. Um, They've cleared about two dozen camps using this, almost 1,500 people. They've moved inside into hotels. Uh, But the problem is they've only, as of the last time I checked uh, this summer, they've only managed to move less than 6% of those people into permanent housing from the hotels. Um, And they've also really struggled to provide additional services to folks in the hotels. um, Because for a lot of folks, it's not enough just to have a roof over their head. If they've been living on the street for years, they've gone through a lot of trauma. They probably have mental health needs um, and physical health needs um, that are just not getting addressed adequately in these hotels. Uh, So while it's gotten a lot of camps cleared and moved people inside, um, there's still a lot of bugs to be worked out with it. Mm -hmm. And what's the biggest roadblock as far as having those services provided at the temporary housing or at the hotels? The mayor says it's a lack of personnel. Um, There's just a big shortage of workers in um, the homeless services sector and the mental health sector. Um, so she's trying to partner with uh, with universities to get uh, students who are in these programs uh, to work with the folks in these hotels. 
And I want to read a comment from a listener who says, people come to California because one could easily die living on the streets of Phoenix in the summer or the streets of Chicago in the winter. Our climate is livable for people without a roof. California is compassionate and will provide access to assistance to unhoused people. I love that compassion, but I worry that we can't provide this for all of the unhoused people of the U.S., This listener writes, the concentrated poverty and addiction is now disastrous for the streets of California City, and the whole scenario is unsustainable and requires national attention. We should say there's a great deal of that. uh, That's bunk. You know, we've this UCSF study that came out recently found 90% of Californians lost their last housing in California, and that 66% of uh, folks experiencing homelessness here were actually born in California. But Marisa, this sentiment still seems to frame so much of the debate around encampments, this idea that these folks are coming from somewhere else and bringing this problem to California. Absolutely. And you even see politicians um, sometimes uh, reaffirming that, you know, uh, Mayor Breed has even said something similar, that folks were coming from out of town to San Francisco to use San Francisco resources, uh, even though, you know, it's not just that UCSF study, even the um, the annual point in time counts um, in each county and, and city, you see again and again this trend that the vast majority of people were last housed in the county that they're now homeless in. And Blake, we see this in San Diego, right, where I think there's a large number of seniors who lived in the city and, and then became unsheltered. Yeah, in our last point in time count, uh, 80% of people said that they had become homeless in San Diego County. Uh, but one of the fastest growing segments of our homeless population is seniors, people who are at least 55 years old. Um, it looks like uh, the latest data has 1,500 people who are 55 years or older living outdoors, uh, which is almost a third of the overall population. Aldo, turning back to San Francisco, there's another piece of this back and forth in court that I want to get into, and that seems to be focused on city policy when it comes to encampment clearing. This is, you know, what happens to people's belongings who are living in tents. How does that kind of fit into this larger conversation about Martin v. Boise and not being able to clear tents until you have housing? Yeah, I mean, in in Martin v. Boise, obviously, the decision is that you have to have adequate shelter before you sweep any kind of encampment. So the city's policy right now in San Francisco is that they could enforce laws for uh, sitting and lying on the street, anti-camping laws that were passed in the 70s and 80s, and, um, you know, all these other kinds of laws that prevent you from being outside, loitering laws, for example. Um, So the city can... um, can't do any of these encampment sweeps anymore on those reasons, but it can do them for safety reasons, whether that's ADA compliance, making sure that the sidewalks have enough space for a wheelchair to go through, or whether it's, um, you know, to clean a sidewalk, for example. The the difference now is that the officials actually have to give them a notice uh, that says they can return to the place where, uh, where they were. So okay. an encampment can exist again in a specific block. Uh, once DPW is done cleaning or or ADA compliance is um, determined to be safe. I mean, you mentioned disability access. I just want to follow up on that. I think about, you know, there's an enc- been an encampment right here on Bryant where there's no way if you're someone who's, you know, in a wheelchair being able to pass through the sidewalk, has that come up in the litigation, kind of the legal back and forth of access for people, you know, 
who are in wheelchairs or otherwise wouldn't be able to pass through the sidewalk. Yeah, that's become a huge issue. And I think a lot of the talking points of some of these uh, more conservative supervisors and uh, certainly the mayor of San Francisco, London Breed, uh, all of them have said that there are different reasons for why having people sleeping on the streets is unsafe, whether that's for folks who are trying to get past uh, the sidewalk if they're on a wheelchair Or, you know, simply uh, a lot of the folks in the Tenderloin having to walk down the street with their kids as they're going to elementary school. I mean, there's a lot of different issues about safety um, when encampments are so close. Um, There's certainly no evidence that says that there's more violent crime when there's an encampment in in a certain neighborhood. But but I think that there's still a lot of fear from residents about um, the potential dangers of passing by an encampment. I want to stay in San Francisco and go to caller David. Good morning, David. Good morning. Hey, my comment and my thoughts are this. Um, so I'm, I'm a big proponent of trying to get people housed. Now, I live in a building where there's a couple people that moved in that were unhoused and now they're housed. Um, the bigger issue I see is they can't just be moved into a building. Uh, they're not acclimating. They're, they're, they're still kind of like living that unhoused mentality. And I'm just wondering, what's your take on that? Like, how do we continue to support that? Like, these are people who, who still are packages or they leave food outside of their door. They're just, they're, they're really disruptive and messy. How do we incorporate them into our, you know, into, into living in an apartment? Thank you for that call, David. Although I think this speaks to, you know, the need for supportive services. When you talk about, you know, permanent housing, it's permanent supportive housing, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I I think a lot of people in San Francisco will tell you, especially officials, that the goal is to build more permanent supportive housing. That is housing that, you know, could be at any apartment building in in Lower Knob Hill, for example, but uh, will have services, whether that's counseling, uh, work-related services, or um, mental health services in order to make sure that people living in these uh, new environments actually can acclimate, like this caller is saying, to those environments and not continue to deal with some of the, uh, like Marisa pointed out, the mental health issues, the actual physical health issues that folks have when they uh, transition from homelessness into housing. As we get closer to break, I want to read some of our comments coming in on Discord. Rich writes, some of us don't believe that more money and resources are needed for this problem. As someone who works in SF, some of the homeless I see have industrial grade tools for cutting off locks. This scares me. Noelle G on Discord writes from San Jose, housing prices are too high. That's the obvious number one reason for housing instability. But number two is too many vacant homes. On my block in San Jose, there are two vacant homes. Number three is the fraying social safety net, which has been going on since 1981, she writes. Stop scapegoating those without homes. It's so easy to blame those in worse circumstances than you. That's some of our comments coming in on Discord. You can also get in touch with us by giving us a call, 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. How would you like to see your city address homeless encampments? What are your questions, ideas, experiences? Stay with us as we'll continue this conversation after the break.
Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Guy Marzarati in for Mina Kim, and we're talking about what comes next in court battles over homeless encampments and the local politics of this issue. I want to dive into that with our guests, Aldo Toledo, City Hall reporter with the San Francisco Chronicle, Marisa Kendall, reporter covering California's homelessness crisis with Cal Matters, and Blake Nelson, a reporter covering homelessness with the San Diego Union Tribune. Blake, I know in San Diego Democrats criticized the last mayor, Republican Kevin Faulkner, for, quote, criminalizing homelessness. How are Democrats now responding to a Democratic mayor pushing this encampment policy? Has there been kind of the the split in the party? Uh, Yeah, and I think you see that split in the city council vote that went 5-4 on this local camping ban. But yeah, he's he's getting pressure from both sides of people who feel like he's not uh, being aggressive enough with law enforcement sweeps. Uh, He's certainly getting pressure from uh, everyone from condo owners uh, and residents downtown to NBA great Bill Walton, who feel like he needs to be more aggressive. Um, and so, yes, it's it's very controversial and he's he's facing fire from from every direction. I want to turn back to Oakland uh, with a call coming in now uh, from Freeway. Good morning, Freeway. Thanks for calling. Good morning, Alexis. Sir. Oh, are you with us? Uh, yes. Yes. Can you hear me? I can. Go ahead. So um, I'm a resident of the Wood Street uh, Commons that was closed down in April. And um, I'm also a community leader here. Um, And I just wanted to talk about what is not being talked about, which is um, the city's uh, failed tactics to put us in temporary housing. Um, I know that a number that was reported uh, um, post-eviction was that, like, I think 80% of the individuals at the encampment took shelter. Um, for, for one, the fact that the shelter was in operation at that time uh, just speaks volumes about the situation. Um, the, the people that run it had actually lied to the federal judge. Um, they were not prepared for us when, when we came here. It was months. Uh, after we came in, that we even had things like a washing machine that worked. Um, Some of us still don't even get, uh, don't even have access to, like, curtain rods for, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And um, so the the big thing here that is not happening is the fact that all they did was push us behind a gate. There's no services. There's no mental health. There's no classes for us to take. 
we've basically just been moved down the street and had a gate put up between us. And these are people that some of us have been around for 10 years for a family, and we're being told uh, that we can't even talk to them if they're on the other side of the fence. Right. Um, I mean, not only is that wrong, it's like it's illegal. It's the it's the First Amendment violation of our rights, and um, the city just keeps pushing these these policies that are not tangible and they're not successful. Right. Well, Freeway, you raise a lot of uh, good questions here, and I appreciate your call, Marisa. I think one of the questions is this push and pull that we're seeing about temporary housing and permanent housing. How good is temporary housing at kind of uh, replicating some of the supportive services that you could get at a affordable apartment building, albeit with a lot higher cost? We've heard Mayor Karen Bass in L.A. talk exactly about this. What we really need, because homelessness is such a huge problem now, is a system of long-term interim housing. So we're doing everything we can to build housing in Los Angeles, but it still takes months. We don't want to leave people on the street while we're building. So we need interim temporary housing. Marisa, how have you kind of seen the politics of this play out, both in L.A. and kind of throughout the state? Because that type of interim housing can play really well politically and and politicians tend to favor it because it is a way to get folks off the street and then they're out of the public view, right? And that's very politically attractive to get the encampments off the street so people don't have to look at them. But then you get people into this interim housing and it's really hard to then get them into the next step, which is permanent housing. Um, the uh, the tiny homes in Oakland. Um, I, I did a, a, a study on them recently, and when I last looked, only about twenty five percent of people who were in these tiny homes ever eventually made it into permanent housing. Um, and they they do lack a lot of those services. Um, they don't you know necessarily have uh, enough case managers working with folks to get housing. Folks aren't necessarily getting that wraparound care that they need. Um, some of them don't even have running water or shower hours on site, people are sharing porta potties. Um, so they're, you know, and then any money that's used to create these temporary solutions is money that potentially is not being spent on long-term housing. Um, so it's it's really a, a it's a very controversial issue of what you should be putting your resources to, these temporary solutions or saving it for um, long-term housing. Right. And as we see a lot of these cities grapple with post-pandemic budget issues, it does kind of become a zero-sum conversation. Uh, I want to go to caller Lisa in San Francisco. Good morning, Lisa. Good morning. Thanks for the program. So I'm a Panhandle Haight-Ashbury resident of 35 years. We've always had unhoused people in our neighborhood. I would just like to point out this is a national problem, even though San Francisco and Los Angeles are very much in the visual media. I really, really fault London Breed, our mayor, and Governor Gavin Newsom for taking the bait and unleashing the torch and pitchfork people, holding rallies with some of our newest supervisors to demonize the federal judge who is trying to grapple with this problem instead of, you know, Newsom and Breed are are problem solvers. They should be focused on this issue, which is, we all know, it's a very complicated issue, and it probably will never be solved. We have to keep trying 
to solve it and find solutions and work together instead of blaming, blaming the district supervisor of the tenderloin. I mean, that's just like what third graders do. And it's very frustrating for a San Franciscan to, to have elected office holders do things like that. It infuriates me. Thank you. Well, thank you so much, Lisa, for calling in. Although we've seen in some cities like San Jose, the idea of encampment bans uniting Democrats, Mayor Matt Mahan, a moderate, a progressive council member, Peter Ortiz in San Jose, they've worked together to push for this encampment ban policy. That kind of unity does not seem to be happening in San Francisco. No, that unity does not exist in San Francisco. In fact, uh, here in this city, you see a lot of polarization on this issue. So you see a lot of these more moderate or more conservative uh, supervisors like Joel Ingardio, Matt Dorsey, and Raphael Mandelman joining the the London breed, all four of them Democrats, um, you know, against uh, this injunction from a Democrat judge. Uh, I mean, it's it, it's certainly interesting that you see this divide between moderates and, and progressives become more clear uh, over this issue. Breed's on the ballot for re-election next year. How do you kind of see the stakes of this issue for her re-election chances? Yeah, she's taken a really strong stance against this injunction. And, um, you know, that could be seen, obviously, with her speech outside the Ninth Circuit Court. Uh, but just in general, in her policy, uh, she has refused to use certain money for um, you know, certain means, whether that's uh, affordable housing. And, and she really has her uh, opinion about how to deal with the homelessness issue. And like you said, she is up for re-election against next year. So, you know, it will really, you'll have to watch, I guess, whether or not you see a difference on the streets or not, and how that might impact her re-election. If you do see a lot of the same issues now, with the injunction and, and nothing happens, then it could spell trouble for her re-election bid. Blake Todd Gloria is running for re-election uh, in 2024. How do you see kind of the stakes for him pushing this policy a year ahead of his uh, re-election campaign? I think this is the number one issue facing uh, that are on residents' minds, voters' minds, um, homelessness and sort of the intertwined issue of the cost of housing. Uh, I, I think that's pretty much the whole ball game. The um, crime, COVID, a lot of the things that have dominated headlines in the past. I think those are all uh, taken sort of second seat to to homelessness. And part of what's happening too, we've actually had there is there have been more people living outside in the county in years past, but it's more visible now because of the uh, number of encampments downtown. At one point, we had close to two thousand people. Uh, in downtown San Diego. So the visibility, I think, is is one of the biggest shifts in the past year or two. And Marisa, we heard from the last caller, Lisa, about this issue of blame, local officials finding a scapegoat other than themselves for what's happening on the street. How do you see that kind of being intertwined with all of these re-election campaigns by mayors, Todd Gloria, London Breed, Matt Mahan, as kind of perhaps trying to find scapegoats or find other ways or other places for the public to look as this encampment crisis kind of rolls into a re-election year? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, no elected official wants to be the face of the homelessness crisis, right? And clearly, um, it's such a problem. Things don't seem to be improving when you just look at conditions on the street. So no one really wants to own it because uh, it's it's not getting better. So I think you do see a lot of that blame game uh, for those political reasons. And Aldo, is that kind of trickled down into the Board of Supervisors here in San Francisco? I mean, how do you kind of see this issue playing out for 
supervisors as they interact with constituents and ultimately kind of make their case uh, on the ballot next year? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, uh, you mentioned London Breed and her re-election. She doesn't have that big of an opponent at this point, but next year for the supervisor's election, that is definitely something to watch. I mean, you have uh, uh, four seats up on the on the board of supervisors, and and those seats will that you know this issue will have a determining factor on who sits on those seats. Um, and you know, one of the most progressive members of the board of supervisors, Dean Preston, is up for re-election again next year. So it'll be interesting to see whether or not um, the moderates kind of went went out uh, next year, or if there's still a progressive base in San Francisco. And just the timeline of the cases in the city, are they? Is there a chance they're resolved before next year? Or is that kind of unlikely? Um, it'll take months for the Ninth Circuit to return a decision on the appeal from the city. Um, and uh, Donna Ryu of the district court is going to look at um, more arguments September 22nd. But, you know, anything could happen from here until November of next year. OK, seems like a lot of procedural steps uh, yeah. between now and then. You're listening to Forum. I'm Guy Marzarati in for Mina Kim. And we're going to continue our conversation talking about encampments, homeless encampments in California, how local leaders are responding. And I want to stay here in San Francisco and go to caller Paul. Hello, Paul. Yes. Uh, my grandmother was homeless after the 1906 earthquake, but I think it was a different time back then. Uh, San Francisco will never be able to build enough shelters because the more shelters we build, the more people we're going to get. That's been obvious so far. And we have to look at the fact that it's not a housing issue with the homeless. It's an alcohol, drug, a drug, alcohol, drug, and mental health uh problem. These individuals we see in the streets, most of them could not sustain a home in their current situation. So I think we got to be honest about why this homeless problem has started. And I also think this idea that 66% of these individuals we see on the street are from California is specious. I've never seen any empirical evidence about that. So I think we need a certain amount of honesty about this issue. Thank you. Yep, I appreciate you getting in touch, Paul. And just to reference, that was a UCSF study I mentioned earlier that found 66% of uh, people experiencing homelessness were born in California. I encourage folks to check that out and you can uh, form your own view on that. But also to the question Paul raises about never having enough shelter, never having enough housing, has there been any accompanying change on attitudes towards building affordable housing, towards building shelter as this encampment debate has played out? Or are we kind of looking at the same gridlock uh, in the city? No, I mean, you're seeing these kind of conversations go kind of parallel to each other. So you you are seeing the supervisors and the mayor coming together, actually, just in the last budget cycle wow. to reduce the number of inclusionary units in apartment buildings in an effort to actually get apartment developers to build housing. So there are some moves that the city is trying to do to actually get expedite housing being built in the city. Um, so, but, but it still remains a question whether or not it will, the city will continue to invest in temporary shelters. There are temporary shelter proposals and temporary housing proposals, um, kind of on the pipeline in the city. So the, the beds will increase, but will they increase to meet everybody that needs it? I mean, that's, I think that's really the question. And Blake, in San Diego, this encampment ban went into effect as one of the city's shelters was kind of winding down. I mean, how is the mayor, Todd Gloria, and the council, you know, responded to try to up the uh, supply of shelter as they kind of turn towards more enforcement? 
Yeah, I think you're talking about uh, this Golden Hall shelter by our Civic Center downtown that they've been trying to shutter for a while. It's it's aging. It's dilapidated. I was there when they were able to move a lot of families uh, into a converted uh, travel lodge to try to get them into a safer place. But the biggest thing city leaders are pushing are these new safe sleeping sites, uh, big open lots where you can legally camp. Um, I've been in the one that's open so far. They say they're going to open another one soon. Um, and some of just the anecdotal evidence we have is there are some real perks to that. You can come and go. Uh, there are bathrooms on site. But, I mean, the waiting list for just the first uh, safe sleeping site exceeded the capacity uh, very, very quickly. So, I mean, once again, we are we are nowhere near to having the number of shelter beds actually needed to house everyone on our streets. I'm going to try to sneak in one more call before we say goodbye. Joel in Oakland. Hey, Joel. Hi there. Um, my, uh, what I'd like to say is that um, I believe that uh, the problem that we have with homelessness is not a problem with homeless people. Um, we are people. Um, and just like everybody else, uh, we're subject to these circumstances. Um, there are very few people in our country that live outside the the ability of, of, of ending up like one of us. Um, I believe that uh, Paul was right, that uh, a, a big part of the problem is uh, mental health and drug addiction. And I believe that uh, it is the the city, county, and state's uh, responsibility to take care of treatment for people with these problems. Um, if we can follow like Canada's, uh, example, mm-hmm. um, they, they have a very effective harm reduction, um, very effective harm reduction program. Yep. Um, I appreciate, sorry, sorry to yeah. interrupt you, Joel, just getting towards the end of the hour, but I really appreciate you calling in and, and sharing your thoughts on this. Marisa, I just want to end with you looking ahead. We've talked about this Ninth Circuit ruling as kind of the framing for a lot of this encampment debate. Where does that court fight go from here? Could it go to the Supreme Court? Yeah, it could, I, th- I think. And um, I think it could really change if, if they do reverse this decision and change uh, this ruling. I think it really could change how cities handle homeless encampments. I think we're, there's still going to be a lot of focus on providing shelter, uh, just because optically it, it does not look good for cities to just sweep everyone um, and offer them no services. But uh, you, re- you definitely could see them clearing specific uh, encampments they view as problematic if right. uh, this decision is overturned. Marisa Kendall, reporter covering California's homelessness crisis for CalMatters. Thanks so much for joining us this morning. You're welcome. We also heard from Blake Nelson, reporter covering homelessness with the San Diego Union-Tribune. Thank you, Blake. Thanks for having me. Yep, and Aldo Toledo, City Hall reporter for the San Francisco Chronicle. Appreciate you coming in and and joining us. Yeah, thank you so much. You've been listening to Forum. Thanks to all of my guests. Thanks to all of the callers and all of you listeners. I'm Guy Marzarati in for Mina Kim, and you've been listening to Forum. Funds for the production of KQED's Forum are provided by the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, 
the Germanicos Foundation, the Heising Simons Foundation, and the Bernard Osher Foundation, supporting higher education and the arts. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.